Hello everyone. Welcome to today's edition of Keep Your Faith Alive. We began a series on keys to a victorious life last week. And today we will continue with that series by looking at the second part of it. Keys to a victorious life part 2. And our anchor scripture is Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11 where the Bible says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the enemy. The aim of this study is to help each believer in Christ to see that life on earth is a warfare, not funfair, and to show that everyone is directly or indirectly involved in the battle of life. We also want to, through this study, teach believers how to experience constant victory in the battle of life. By way of background, I want you to please take note of the fact that it's important for every one of us to have a working definition of what victory in life means. So, let us begin today by explaining what we mean by a victorious life. To know what a victorious life is, we need to first understand what it is not. A victorious life on earth does not mean having more money in our bank account. All of us want more money because we need it to meet certain needs in our lives and those who work for it will certainly get it legitimately, even though some people steal it one way or the other. But one thing is certain, having more money does not mean that one is living a victorious life. Of course, you know that there are many wealthy people who are still under the control of Satan. Their money hasn't been able to rescue them. Secondly, a victorious life on earth does not mean having a great career or exercising great influence. It does not mean having access to the good things of life. All of those things are necessary. We need them. We need them. You will agree with me that there are people who have them yet. They are still under the control of Satan. So, that in itself does not mean a victorious life. Having said what a victorious life is not, what then is a victorious life? It's important for us to settle this ab initial so that as we go along, we go together. A victorious life is a life that wins victory over sin, over self, and over Satan, to the point of becoming who God created him to be and doing what God created him to do. It's a life that succeeds in overthrowing the government of Satan and establishing the kingdom of Christ wherever God puts him. So, with this working definition, as we get along in this study, you'll be able to know whether you are living a victorious Christian life or you are just getting along, perhaps making money here and there, but Satan is still manipulating you against the government of God, using you very many times to fight the cause of God's kingdom here on earth. Please know that everyone born of a woman is born into a spiritual battle. The very fierce battle that has shaped human civilization over the centuries in order to determine how useful we will become to divinity all through history and how powerful we mortals will be in exploring the mortal realm. It's indeed a fierce battle. 
This is a battle between two very organized kingdoms. The kingdom of God on one hand and the kingdom of Satan on the other hand. It's a battle between light and darkness. A battle between good and evil. A battle between right and wrong. And at the center of this fierce battle is a human race. Man is being used on both sides of the battle line. The two opposing kingdoms are constantly enlisting men. The goal of the enemy is to use man in every way possible to oppose the cause of God on earth. And he very many times succeeds in doing that. On the other hand, the plan of God is to use man to dispossess the devil of all the territories under his occupation. Whether they are people or places. There are people who are under the control of Satan. There are places who are under the control of Satan. God's intention is to use man to dispossess the devil of such persons and such places. God's desire is to use man to advance his cause on earth. So one way or the other, every man is being used to advance a cause in this age-long battle. Unfortunately, I rather say unfortunately, not many people on the face of the earth are aware that each move they make on the earth is advancing a cause. Many people are not aware that their actions are expressions of an invisible battle. And because of this ignorance, they trivialize even actions and activities that have a far-reaching consequences on them and those who belong to them. May I inform you that nobody chooses this spiritual battle. Nobody is exempted from it. Our natural birth initiates all of us into it. The fact that you are born of a woman initiates you into the battle. You are either fighting in the army of God to overthrow the government of Satan, or Satan is using you to oppose the government of God. Everything within your control as a human being is a weapon in this warfare. Whether it is your life, or your career, your destiny, your relationship, your business, and the rest. You are either using them to advance the purposes of God, or evil forces will hijack them for their own benefit and advantage. So life for us as mortals, my brothers and sisters, is not fun for even though some people make it look as if it is so. Life indeed is warfare. Those who ignore this fact end up becoming mighty tools in the hand of the devil in standing against the purposes of God on earth. Because in their denial and their ignorance, they become vulnerable and pliable in the hand of the devil with little or no effort on their part to resist him. Remember that God said we should resist the devil and he will flee from us. But those who feign ignorance of this warfare, those who, who, who take the posture uh, as if life is fair, they become vulnerable to the enemy. He uses them many times and they are not able to put up any resistance. They do things that actually advance the causes of the devil, advance the kingdom of Satan, and they still celebrate it. As creatures of God, we are confronted by enemy forces. I want you to know that. Enemy forces that have no room for mercy in their agenda. These evil forces are seeking to enlist us for Satan at all costs. The goal of the enemy is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And he does that to anybody who makes himself available. He tries to destroy anything that stands in his way. His strategy is if you cannot have him, harm him. He desires to use man to oppose the government of God on earth. So, if he can't have you, he will attempt to harm you. In his attack against the human race, 
Satan bargains for three things. And I want you to note this. He bargains for three things. Number one, he goes for the soul. Number two, he goes for your destiny. And number three, he goes for your position. And he begins with the soul. The first time the devil comes after you, he comes to bargain for your soul. If he cannot get it through his deception and subtle means, he will declare war against you just to get what he wants at all costs. The good news is that we believers are able to resist him, especially if we walk in knowledge, full of the power of the Holy Spirit. But note that whenever the devil comes after a man, the first thing he goes for is the soul of that man. And ignorant and careless men and women lose the battle at this level and see their souls to Satan in exchange for either wealth or power or influence. This is how some people end up joining uh, occult groups and secret societies. Please know that if Satan wins the battle over a man at this level, all that such a man possesses come under the direct control of Satan. All of what he has comes under the government of the devil and he will use them at any point in time but if he loses his battle against you at the level of your soul he goes ahead to begin to bargain for your destiny he his goal is you know at this level to stop you from becoming who god created you to be he seeks to prevent you from doing all that god created you to do Again, if he loses the battle over your destiny, he goes for your possession. He will begin to, you know, seek to touch things that belong to you here and there. He will start attacking your possessions with the intention of destroying them. So at every point in time, the devil is fighting us. He is constantly bargaining for one thing or the other in and around the environment of our lives. But the good news is that it is possible to keep him out of business in and around your life. It is possible to keep him from making any inroad into your life. It is possible for, for you to even snatch from him any territory he ever, uh, you know, took from you. It is possible to prevent him from succeeding in your life, in your family, in your career. The strategy for keeping the devil constantly on the losing side is what we have been exploring in this series. In the first part, we explored, you know, the first key, which is to be strong in the Lord. If you haven't listened to that message, you will need to get it, listen to it again. Because there are three things we mentioned there that every believer should be acquainted with. The first one is consecration. The next one is consistency. And the third one is sacrifice. If you want to be strong in the Lord, then you need to consecrate yourself to God. You need to be consistent in fellowshipping with God, in doing the will of God. And then you need to live a life of sacrifice because it is sacrifice that releases the power that is already available. It releases it to us. It makes it accessible to us. Today, we will be exploring the second key, which is to put on the whole armor of God. Maybe I should begin by asking what is an armor? For me, an armor is a protective covering that is used to prevent damage from being inflicted on us. Any protective armor, whatever keeps you from being, you know, attacked by the enemy or keeps you from being hurt by the enemy, that's an armor. Now, what constitutes the armor of God? Ephesians chapter 6 talks about the armor of God. What are the components of the armor of God? There are about seven of them, and I'm going to mention them very quickly. Number one, the Bible speaks of the belt of truth. Number two, the breastplate of righteousness. Number three, the gospel of peace. Number four, the shield of faith. 
Number five, the helmet of salvation. And number six, the sword of the spirit. The last but not the least for me, very crucial also, is prayer. Putting on the whole armor of God means putting on these seven pieces of the armor of God in their proper place in your life. Putting them in their proper place in your life, in my life. That's what it means to put on the whole armor of God. All seven must be in their proper place in our lives. For today, let's begin with the belt of truth. Perhaps we will dwell there. If we have time, we will get into the others. But let's begin with the belt of truth. To live in victory every day, brothers and sisters, we need to know the truth. We need to believe the truth. We need to live by the truth, no matter the cost. We need to say the truth at all times. The truth is both a person and a principle, and you need to know that. Jesus as a person is the truth. And the word of God as an eternal principle is also the truth. Truth as a principle is usually heavy. Many of you will testify with me that um, it's not everybody that can carry the truth. Many times it is more convenient to live a lie or tell a little lie here and there because doing so relieves us from pressures, shame and embarrassment. At least it appears so. But to be victorious in life, we have to learn to live by conviction, not by convenience. We have to learn to live in accordance accordance with the truth. Saying it and doing it, doing so disarms the devil and keeps him from oppressing us. It's important you note this. Living by the truth disarms the devil. Patronizing lies here and there empowers him in our lives. So if we want to live in victory every day of our lives, one of the things we need to do is to ensure that we are living by the truth. In the book of John chapter 8 and verse 32, Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. The truth will set you free. The truth will keep you free. The fact that the truth is the first part of the armor presented to us in scriptures is worthy of note. We need to take note of that. Notice that it is called a belt. In other words, it is the truth that holds all the other parts of the armor in place. It is the truth that holds them together, the belt of truth. This implies that whatever we are doing, we need to be sure that we are saying the truth, we are doing the truth, and we are living the truth. Doing so disarms the devil. I said it before and I'm saying it again. Living by the truth disarms the devil. Because the devil is a liar, the Bible calls him the father of all liars. And he thrives in lies, in deception, in falsehood. The devil we are in conflict with is a liar and a deceiver. If you don't know him as a liar and a deceiver, then you don't know him. He has been lying to people and deceiving them throughout human history. His first contact with Adam and Eve was to lie to them and deceive them. He lied to Adam and Eve and he deceived them. In the same way, he has been lying to people even till today. One of his ways of opposing the truth is to make people believe that the Bible, which is the word of God, is not truth. But it's important for you to note that the Bible is truth. The Bible is truth. Jesus, in talking to his disciples, as recorded by John in chapter 17, verse 17, says, Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. So the word of God is truth. 
Another way of opposing the truth, another way through which the devil opposes the truth is to make people believe that God does not love them. I'm, I'm aware that, you know, he uses this as a weapon many times against people who are under one kind of pressure or the other. Some of you who are listening to me may have found yourselves in this situation where the devil begins to manipulate your mind into thinking that God doesn't love you. If he loves you, why will he allow you go through the things you go through? But the truth of the matter is that according to scriptures, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. So if God loved us enough to give his one and only, his greatest and his best, I assure you that God will not withhold anything from us. So when the devil comes to you and tells you that God does not love you, just tell him very quickly, devil, you are a liar, get thee behind me. Another of his evil strategy for opposing the truth is to make people believe that God is responsible for all the evil things that are happening on earth today. Let me tell you very quickly, God is not responsible for them. It's important for you to know that the earth is created for man, not for spirits. Every trouble you find on earth is caused by the devil through man. It's important you know that. And the Bible confirms that God is good, God is not wicked. In Psalm 92 verse 15, the Bible says, Proclaiming the Lord is upright, he is my rock, and there is no wickedness in him. I want you to to be aware that there is no wickedness in God. No matter what you are going through, no matter what people go through in life, God is not wicked. Each time we turn to him for deliverance, he delivers us. Even when we plunge ourselves into trouble, it is God himself who delivers us from all those troubles when we turn to him. But he waits for us to turn to him. So God is not wicked in any way. In some other cases, you know, the devil makes people believe that God does not have the ability to handle the existential problems we face in the universe. That's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20, the Bible says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that is at work in us. So God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ever ask or think or imagine. God is able. God is able. He is unlimited in power. He can do anything in the universe. Many times, he doesn't do the things we want him to do because we do not ask him to do them. We do not invite him to do them. He has handed over the earth to man. The Bible says the heaven, even the heavens belong to God, but the earth has he given to the sons of men. So when we invite God through prayer, he does wonders for us. God is not in any way weak. The one who created the entire universe, how can you judge him weak? The Bible calls him the self-existent one. God is mighty. God is powerful. To even imagine that God is weak is to have played into the hand of the devil who is a liar. All these lies from Satan, you know, are intended to deceive people. Jesus, in addressing the Jews, you know, made the following statement. In John chapter 8, verse 44 and verse 45, he says, You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. Know that the devil does not hold to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. 
Yet, because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. So the devil is a liar and the father of all lies. The father of all lies. One key way to overcome him and his lies is to accept Jesus and the Bible as the truth. Accept Jesus, the living word of God, and the Bible, the written word of God, as the truth. You just have to accept it. Accept and until you accept it, the devil will still succeed in telling you lies. You will be buying into his lies and in so doing, you make yourself vulnerable to his manipulation. In John chapter 14 verse 6, the Bible says, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. So Jesus said, I am the truth. And John 17 verse 17 says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So, to overcome Satan, we need to believe, accept that Jesus, the living word, and the Bible, the written word, is the truth. When we do that, we disarm the devil at that level. After accepting the truth, the next step is to depend on the Spirit of God for interpretation and for understanding of the truth. We need to depend on the Spirit of God. Using human wisdom many times to try to understand scriptures is what opens the portal for the devil to smuggle lies into us. We need to depend on the Holy Spirit. There's no need to argue over scriptures. If you lack understanding of it, ask the Holy Spirit to teach you. He may teach you directly or he can use someone that he has affected, someone whose life he has influenced, someone that he is directly in control of his life. He can use such a fellow to explain the word of God to you. We have a lot of preachers. We have a lot of messages in our generation. So these messages help us to understand the truth as we depend on the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 16 verse 13, the Bible says, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, now, please note that the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. He is the dispenser of the truth. He is the communicator of the truth. He is the one who explains the truth. The Bible says when he comes, he will guide you into all truth. All of us need to be guided into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. Every one of us need to be guided into the truth. And it is the Holy Spirit who guides us into the truth. To overcome the lies of the devil and stay on the truth, you need to depend on the Holy Spirit for interpretation and understanding of the truth. The final step is to resolve to obey the truth no matter what you hear or what you see. It's a resolution that every one of us need to make. The resolution to obey the truth. No matter what we see, no matter what we hear, no matter what we feel, we all need to resolve to obey the truth. That's one way to disarm the devil, to stand on the truth, to live the truth, to proclaim the truth. As we do that, the devil is paralyzed in our lives. Those who do not obey the truth are called foolish. According to scriptures, Anybody who does not obey the truth, the Bible sees such a person as foolish. Example is found in Galatians chapter 3 verse 1, where the Bible calls a people foolish Galatians. It says, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? So when a man does not obey the truth, the Bible sees that man as foolish. 
So there's no need for us to argue back and forth. Rather than argue, we just need to depend on the Holy Spirit to interpret the truth to us. And as he does that, our duty is to obey the truth and to do that at all costs. So we need to follow these three steps mentioned above. Number one, accept the truth. Number two, depend on the Holy Spirit for interpretation and understanding. Number three, resolve to obey the truth at all costs. Those who follow this approach will never fall prey to the lies and the tricks of the devil. The truth they know will set them free and keep them free until Jesus comes. Standing on the truth is another way of living in victory every day of your life. God bless you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Keep Your Faith Alive. My name is Steve Obona. About two weeks ago, we began a series on the topic, Keys to a Victorious Life. The first day, we looked at the first key, and we drew a scripture reference from Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 10, where the Bible says, Be strong in the Lord. And from that text, we realize that the first key, the first key to a victorious life is to be strong in the Lord. Mind your assumption is that we are talking to believers. That means you're already born again. If that is the case, to be victorious in life, the first key you need to apply is to be strong in the Lord. And um, in looking at that, we saw the three key determinants of our level of strength in life. And number one is consecration. Number two is consistency. And number three is sacrifice. From there, we saw that to be strong in the Lord, we need to totally consecrate ourselves to God. And we also saw that we need to be consistent in fellowshipping with Him in His Word through prayer. And also identifying with the fellowship of other believers. And then we saw the need for sacrifice. Because from time to time, God will require of us to make certain sacrifices. We will need to let go of certain things in order to strengthen our grips on God and deepen our roots in Him. So, that was on the first day. The second day we saw another key. And we drew a scripture reference from Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 11, where the Bible says we should put on the whole armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God. We saw from there that the second key to a victorious life is to wear the whole armor of God, to put on the whole armor of God. And um, we looked at the components of the armor of God. The first thing we saw from that text, if you read down Ephesians chapter 6, beyond verse 11, you see the different parts of the armor of God, the seven parts of the armor of God. The belt of truth is number one. Number two is the breastplate of righteousness. Number three is the gospel of peace. Number four is the shield of faith. And five the helmet of salvation. 
Number six is the sword of the spirit. And then number seven is prayer. Last week, we dwelt on the belt of truth. Uh, For want of time, we were unable to go beyond that. Today, we will briefly look at the breastplate of righteousness. I want you to pay attention as we make progress in this study, the breastplate of righteousness. Before we make progress, I want you to know that God's will is for you to be victorious in life. He wants you to enjoy daily victory in your relationship with him. He wants you to enjoy daily victory over the forces of darkness. He wants you to enjoy daily victory over the pressures that come from life on daily basis. That's the will of God for you. And what we are looking at in this series is the things you need to do. The things that we need to do in order to enjoy victory on daily basis. Pay attention to the first point, which is being strong in the Lord. That means our relationship with God matters a lot. But beyond relationship, we need to share fellowship with Him. All of that strengthens us. All of that deepens our roots in God. And then we need to be battle ready all the time because life is not fun fair. Life is warfare. Anybody who is serious-minded in life will confirm that life is not fun fair. Those who approach life with, you know, some level of a reckless abandon, those who trivialize very sensitive issues about life end up becoming casualties in life. Every serious-minded individual should look at life from the standpoint of warfare. Uh, whether you like it or not, there are forces that are constantly contending either for your soul, your destiny, or your possession. And to be able to put them where they belong, you need to be battle ready. That's why scripture says, put on the whole armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God. And then in classifying the armor of God, the d- different components of the armor of God, you see, that some of them are, are defensive, some others are offensive. There are others, there are some you use to defend yourself. There are some others you use to engage uh, the enemy, engage the forces that confront you on daily basis. Today we are looking at the breastplate of righteousness. Now, what is the function of a breastplate in the armor? Uh, the breastplate protects the heart. It protects the heart. And um, in spiritual warfare or in the battles of life, righteousness is seen as a breastplate in the armor of God. This means that it is righteousness consciousness that guards the heart of a believer from the enemy's attack. Righteousness consciousness. Righteousness consciousness has a way of protecting the believer from the enemy's constant attack. So why is the breastplate of righteousness needed as part of the armor of God we need to put on? It is needed because righteousness consciousness protects the heart from Satan's attack on our minds. His attack could come in the form of guilt, fear, or even doubt. He could even attack your health and all of that. But the, the, the issue of righteousness, consciousness uh, brings us in a position where we are able to resist the devil and all of what he brings. Guilt comes from sin, consciousness, fear comes 
from you know satan consciousness and the only way to overcome all of them is to wear the breastplate of righteousness now before we continue let us try to understand what righteousness is generally Uh, then we can understand how it applies to god in his relationship with man and how it applies to man in his relationship with god and then how it applies to spiritual warfare what is righteousness Simply put, righteousness means right standing. To be righteous is to have a right standing. To be righteous before God is to have a right standing with God. It means to have a right standing with God. And to be righteous before men is to have a right standing before men. So from God's perspective, a righteous man is someone that has a right standing with him someone that is in alignment with him, someone that is in a relationship with him and nothing has been able to come between him and God, someone that is in synchrony, in agreement with God, someone who is working together with God, not at par with God. That's a righteous man. He has a right standing before God, a man or a woman that God has approved of. That's a righteous man. When God approves of a man, that man can call himself a righteous man. So, uh, righteousness is about having a right standing before God or before men. This means that there are two aspects of righteousness. There are two aspects of righteousness we need to pay attention to. Uh, the righteousness of God and then the righteousness of man. And there are, two, there are two, two aspects also, on the other hand, that are of interest to us. In this study, uh, one of them is the gift of righteousness, and the other one is the fruit of righteousness. Um, as you read Romans chapter 5 and verse 17, I would like to read the New Living Translation Romans chapter 5 and verse 17. There, the Bible says, For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who received it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Now that verse speaks of his gift of righteousness. The Bible says, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. So there's something called the gift of righteousness. Uh, then again, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 19 through to verse 11, the Bible says, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. In this particular passage, we see the fruit of righteousness. So from the two passages we have read, from the two scripture texts we've read, you find that there is something called the gift of righteousness and there is something called the fruit of righteousness. As you look closely at the two scriptures above, you will realize that the first scripture speaks of the gift of righteousness, while the second one speaks of the fruit of righteousness. Now there is something called the gift of righteousness. It's important for every believer to know this because this is the basis of our relationship with God. You miss it there, you struggle. 
There is also something called the fruit of righteousness, which is a product of our being born again. After we are born again, after we have received the gift of righteousness, God expects us to bear the fruit of righteousness. It's important we do that because that's the only way to show the world around us that we have a new life. That's the way to show them that we now belong to a new family. That's the family of God. We belong to a new kingdom, the kingdom of light. That's the kingdom of his dear son. After we have received God's gift of righteousness, we need to bear the fruit of righteousness. As we make progress, I want us to look at God's righteousness. God's righteousness is that righteousness that comes as a gift from God to mankind within this context, in the context of our discussion, we are looking at God's righteousness given to man as a gift from God to him. It is the aspect of righteousness that comes through faith. As man expresses his faith in God, it is a gift from God and is faith-based, not work-based. Please take note of that. It is faith-based as we express our faith in God as we believe the gospel. As we believe the gospel, God gives us his gift of righteousness. It's not based on our works. It can neither be earned nor attained. It can only be obtained by faith in God and in the redemptive work of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is this gift of righteousness that gives people a right standing before God. Now, it is clear from the uh, scripture we read that no one can ever gain a right standing with God is clear from scriptures. Is clear from scriptures. I, I would like you to, uh, when you have time, uh, read Romans chapter 3, verse 23 to verse 28. I would like you to read it in the King James Version of the Bible and also in the New Living Translation. The New Living Translation brings it out very clearly. It says in verse 23, For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet, God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus Christ sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Now, I would like you to note that. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus Christ sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and included them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Wow. The Bible says he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. In verse 27, the Bible says, Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? Of course, the answer is no. Because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. Again, note that. God has acquitted us. He has discharged us. He, he no longer holds us guilty because of what Jesus has done. It's not based on our obeying the law. It is based on our faith. Verse 28 says, So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. That's amazing. 
As you read through the scripture above, one thing stands out. No one can ever earn right standing with God by doing what the law says. That stands out very clearly. We only gain right standing with God by expressing our faith in God. Even the Old Testament saints are not excluded from this matter. Uh, concerning Abraham, of course, Abraham is our father in the faith. But he lived in the Old Testament. Concerning him, the Bible says in Romans chapter 4, uh, verse 3 to verse 5. For the scripture tells us, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. When people walk, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. Hallelujah. God who forgives sinners justifies the ungodly because of their faith in him. You see, it is clear from scriptures that God's righteousness is a gift. Hallelujah. God's righteousness is a gift. God's righteousness imputed into us is a gift from us. That gift is given to us when we believe in Jesus and what he has done for us. And that's what brings us into relationship with God. And this relationship with God is part of what enables us to win victory over the enemy. Our relationship with God is key to enabling us win victory over the forces of darkness. That's why we are looking at the breastplate of righteousness today as part of the armor of God. It's clear, it's clear that God's righteousness is a gift. It is a gift that he gives to those who believe in him and his son, Jesus Christ. It is a gift of righteousness that gives us right standing before God. It is not our works. So we can very safely conclude that those who believe in God and have accepted his son Jesus as their Lord and Savior have received God's gift of righteousness and as such have been given a right standing with God. It doesn't matter what they think. It doesn't matter what they feel. It doesn't matter, you know, what people around them say. If they have fulfilled this scripture obligation, it means that they now have a right standing with God. God has accepted them into his royal family, into his glorious kingdom, not on the basis of anything that they have done, but on the basis of all that Jesus has done, which they have come to believe and accept. Praise God. Before God, they are righteous because God has declared them righteous. We are righteous before God because he has declared us righteous. Our right standing with him is not based on what we have done. It is based on faith in what Christ has done. Now, let's look at man's righteousness. Man's righteousness is the righteousness that gives each believer in Christ right standing before God or before people rather, people in this world. It is work-based and is attained through good works. Notice that when we looked at the case of God's righteousness, we said it is faith-based. But when it comes to man's righteousness, it is work-based and it is attained through good works. Now, this is the righteousness uh, that enables us to maintain a right standing before people. This is the righteous status we attain among humans like ourselves by bearing the fruit of righteousness among them. 
This is the righteousness that gives us right standing before people. That, that is to say, after we have become born again, having received the gift of righteousness, God expects us to bear the fruit of righteousness to show the people around us that great change has taken place in our lives. Now, this is man's own way of looking at righteousness. He looks at it on the basis of good works, and those good works are necessary. They are the fruit of righteousness. So as people see our good works, they glorify God our Father and acknowledge that we are his children. This is the fruit of righteousness that believers in Christ are called to bear. It is the evidence that shows that we are now God's children. Now let's look at the meeting point between the gift and the fruit. I've told you there are two aspects of righteousness, the gift of righteousness that gives us access to God, brings us into a relationship with Him, and establishes us in His kingdom. But there is also the fruit of righteousness, which shows that we are now God's children. We, that's that's work-based. We do those good works not to earn God's favor, not to come into relationship with Him. We already are in a relationship with Him, but it's to show that we are now in a relationship with Him. It's to show that we have the life of God in us. It's to show that the Holy Spirit is at work in us and He helps us to do the will of the Father. So what's the meeting point or where is the meeting point between the gift and the fruit? In the plan of God for man, It is only as we receive the gift of righteousness that we can bear the fruit of righteousness. You see that? God ordained it to be so and enforced it by giving every believer in Christ the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is our helper, our helper from God. It is the gift of righteousness that gives us a strong foundation and deep spiritual root in God, which enables us to grow spiritually and mature to a point of bearing the expected fruits which are expressed in good works. God declares us righteous when we receive the gift of righteousness. People declare us righteous when we bear the fruit of righteousness. It is as they declare us righteous that they accept and believe our Christian testimony. Now, it's important for everyone to know this. Because this is the point that knocks off uh, the, the lackadaisical, lascivious attitude of many believers who believe that uh, once you are saved, you can do anything and get along. It really does not matter. Now, from scriptures, we see that it matters. If we have received the gifts, then we should bear the fruit. The Bible says, let your light so shine that men will see your good works and give glory to your Father which is in heaven. You see that now? Men will see, not God. God is not looking at our good works as it were. He's not looking at our good works per se. The Bible says all our righteousness before God is like a filter rag. God is not using our good works to determine the nature, the status, the state of our relationship with him. No, God does not do that. But the people around us need us to do those good works. Again, we need to do them because it's the only way to show that we are now children of God and we have the life of God. So it's important we know that. There's no other way. There's no other way to express our Christian testimony. The testimony that we are now God's children, except we bear the fruit of righteousness. When the devil comes to attack the believer in Christ, when he comes to attack us, the first thing he does is to accuse us before God in order to fill us with guilt. He tries to deceive us, you know. And make us think that our relationship with God is based on works rather than faith. 
Now, the, 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 the whole essence of today's study is to help us see that our relationship with God is based on our faith in Jesus. And on the basis of that, we can wrestle the devil and get him out of the environment of our lives on the basis of that alone. Just knowing that we have a good relationship with God, which is based on our faith in Jesus, is enough to disarm the devil whenever he comes. He likes to come many times with guilt and, you know, fill us with guilt consciousness and all of that. He begins to show us the things that are not right in our lives. Uh, you know, he shows the offenses and no matter how trivial they are, all of those are intended to fill our hearts with guilt and make us feel unworthy before God. And I'm aware that many times uh, believers are unable to maintain their fellowship with God uh, because they are overwhelmed with guilt consciousness. If the devil succeeds in achieving this, you will be filled uh, with guilt, consciousness, and you find yourself withdrawing from the Father, withdrawing from, you know, your only source of help like Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden. But we don't need to do that. The nature of our relationship with God and the basis upon which it is established is supposed to bring us back to God anytime we err. We ask for his forgiveness and then we receive help from him. We receive strength from him to rise above whatever it is that pulled us down the other time. The good news is that uh, even in our worst state, uh, <laughs> uh, we as believers in Christ still have an unbroken access to God and can go to him anytime. The unbroken access we have is not based on anything we have done. It is based on the finished work of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. Now, if you have time or when you have time, read Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 to verse 22. On the basis of that perfect work of redemption which Jesus did, uh, we all have been made children of God and have been brought into good relationship with him. We have been brought into his family and we have been made to sit with him in the heavenly places far above all principalities and powers. Uh, I would like for you to say amen to that. On the basis of what Christ has done, we have been brought into fellowship, into relationship with God, and we have been raised to a place where we are now seated with Christ in the heavenly places, far above all principalities and powers. God allows us access to him all the time because of what Jesus has done. Praise God. He sees us in Christ, and it is in Christ alone that we are accepted by God. So having such a privileged position in Christ and before God is, however, not lying sense for us to indulge in unholy practices and continue to live in sin. Uh, after we, we have renounced it, it, is, it, it rather places very serious responsibility on us to live right among people of this world, before whom we must maintain a Christian testimony of our salvation. Those who have received the gift. I expected to bear the fruit. So if we have received the gift, then we need to bear the fruit. We need to bear the fruit. We show the world that we have received God's gift of righteousness by bearing the fruit of righteousness. It's important we do that. Now, uh, uh, let's, let's look at God's position. We should be a conclusion in all of what we have said. Number one, man's righteousness is like filthy rag before God. So you cannot maintain your relationship with God on the basis of that. But it's needed in our relationship with people. Number two, no one can be made righteous before God by obeying the law. It's clear in scriptures. Number three, 
People are made right with God only by believing in Jesus Christ and his finished work on Calvary and receiving him as their personal Lord and Savior. Number four, God through the Holy Spirit is at work in us both to will and to do of his good pleasures. So God is now working in us. Scripture says so in uh, Philippians chapter 2. God is now working in us. He's working in us through the Holy Spirit to work out his will and his plan through our lives. The Holy Ghost is doing a mighty work in us. Number five, our duty is to work out what God is working in. And we are to do it with fear and trembling, depending on the Holy Spirit for assistance every day. So to be victorious in life, therefore, we need to have both the gift of righteousness and the fruit of righteousness. We receive the gift through uh, God's saving grace, which we receive through faith. While we bear the fruit through his enabling grace as we live daily in obedience to his word. To be victorious in life, we need to have knowledge of and live in conscious, in the consciousness of our right standing with God, which we now have through the gift of righteousness that he has given to us. We also need to have the experience of right standing with men as we bear the fruit of righteousness every day. That way, the devil will have no basis to either accuse us or attack us successfully. If we have received the gift, brothers and sisters, we need to bear the fruit. That's the way of victory. God bless you. Hello, everyone. Happy Sunday to you all. I'm glad you were able to share fellowship with other believers today, whether you went to church or not. I, I know some people couldn't go to church. You had to do the service online. Wherever you are, what's important is the fact that you're able to connect to the community of believers just to keep your faith alive. And the season we are in requires that every one of us should very intentionally uh, do what it takes to keep his faith alive. Uh, these are trying times across the globe. And every believer is expected to live by his faith. There are a lot of bad news all around us, very discouraging information being disseminated across board on social media platforms. But we are Christians and we know that whatever we see, the word of God which we are standing upon is able to handle them and our eyes are fixed on the word of God. As scripture says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. It says the just shall live by his faith. So we have anchored on the word of God. Everything is subject to change. Everything can fail, but the word of God will never, ever fail. We have held on to it. One of the scriptures I've been encouraging believers to hold on to is Psalm 91, where the Bible says, uh, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. You know, we are dwelling in the secret place of the Most High. We, we belong to Christ. We are in Christ. Our lives are hidden with Christ and God. So we are dwelling in the secret place of the Most High. We are abiding under the shadow of the Almighty. So God is constantly watching over us. And we need to be aware of that. But there's one more thing we need to do in order to activate uh, God's security over and upon our lives. It is to keep declaring with our mouths what we believe in our hearts. That scripture says in verse 2, I will say of the Lord, 
So you need to say what you believe. You need to keep saying what you believe in the face of the prevailing circumstances, the adverse conditions all around. You will need to keep saying what you believe. You, that's, that's the saying part of faith. Uh, I've shared with you some time ago how that there are three parts of faith, the believing part, the, the, the saying part, and the doing part. Many believers are only aware of this, the believing part of faith, the one that brings us into salvation. But beyond believing, we need to keep our mouths active. We need to say what we believe in order to benefit from what we believe. And we need to also act in the consciousness of what we believe. That is the doing part of it. So I'm grateful to God that you are feeding your faith day by day. As we get along in, in a series on keys to victorious life, I'm sure you will be thoroughly grounded on the word of God and no wind of adversity will be able to blow you off. God bless you. Hello everyone, welcome to today's edition of Keep Your Faith Alive. We began a series on keys to a victorious life last week and today we will continue with that series by looking at the second part of it, keys to a victorious life part two. And our anchor scripture is Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11 where the Bible says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the enemy. The aim of this study is to help each believer in Christ to see that life on earth is a warfare, not funfair, and to show that everyone is directly or indirectly involved in the battle of life. We also want to, through this study, teach believers how to experience constant victory in the battle of life. By way of background, I want you to please take note of the fact that it's important for every one of us to have a working definition of what victory in life means. So, let us begin today by explaining what we mean by a victorious life. To know what a victorious life is, we need to first understand what it is not. A victorious life on earth does not mean having more money in our bank account. All of us want more money because we need it to meet certain needs in our lives and those who work for it will certainly get it legitimately, even though some people steal it one way or the other. But one thing is certain, having more money does not mean that one is living a victorious life. Of course, you know that there are many wealthy people who are still under the control of Satan. Their money hasn't been able to rescue them. Secondly, a victorious life on earth does not mean having a great career or exercising great influence. It does not mean having access to the good things of life. All of those things are necessary. We need them. We need them. You will agree with me that there are people who have them yet. They are still under the control of Satan. So, that in itself does not mean a victorious life. Having said what a victorious life is not, what then is a victorious life? It's important for us to settle this ab initio so that as we go along, we go together. A victorious life is a life that wins victory 
over sin, over self, and over Satan to the point of becoming who God created him to be and doing what God created him to do. It's a life that succeeds in overthrowing the government of Satan and establishing the kingdom of Christ wherever God puts him. So, with this working definition, as we get along in this study, you'll be able to know whether you are living a victorious Christian life or you are just getting along, perhaps making money here and there, but Satan is still manipulating you against the government of God, using you very many times to fight the cause of God's kingdom here on earth. Please know that everyone born of a woman is born into a spiritual battle. The very fierce battle that has shaped human civilization over the centuries in order to determine how useful we will become to divinity all through history and how powerful we mortals will be in exploring the mortal realm. It's indeed a fierce battle. This is a battle between two very organized kingdoms, the kingdom of God on one hand and the kingdom of Satan on the other hand. It's a battle between light and darkness a battle between good and evil, a battle between right and wrong. And at the center of this fierce battle is a human race. Man is being used on both sides of the battle line. The two opposing kingdoms are constantly enlisting men. The goal of the enemy is to use man in every way possible to oppose the cause of God on earth, and he very many times succeeds in doing that. On the other hand, the plan of God is to use man to dispossess the devil of all the territories under his occupation, whether they are people or places. There are people who are under the control of Satan. There are places who are under the control of Satan. God's intention is to use man to dispossess the devil of such persons and such places. God's desire is to use man to advance his cause on earth. So one way or the other, every man is being used to advance a cause in this age-long battle. Unfortunately, I'd rather say unfortunately, not many people on the face of the earth are aware that each move they make on the earth is advancing a cause. Many people are not aware that their actions are expressions of an invisible battle. And because of this ignorance, they trivialize even actions and activities that have a far-reaching consequences on them and those who belong to them. May I inform you that nobody chooses this spiritual battle. Nobody is exempted from it. Our natural birth initiates all of us into it. The fact that you are born of a woman initiates you into the battle. You are either fighting in the army of God to overthrow the government of Satan, or Satan is using you to oppose the government of God. Everything within your control as a human being is a weapon in this warfare. Whether it is your life or your career, your destiny, your relationship, your business, and the rest. You are either using them to advance the purposes of God or evil forces will hijack them for their own benefit and advantage. So life for us as mortals, my brothers and sisters, is not fun for even though some people make it look as if it is so. Life indeed is warfare. Those who ignore this fact end up becoming mighty tools in the hand of the devil in standing against the purposes of God on earth. Because in their denial and their ignorance, they become vulnerable and pliable in the hand of the devil with little or no effort on their part to resist him. Remember that God said we should resist the devil 
and he will flee from us. But those who feign ignorance of this warfare, those who, who, who take the posture uh, as if life is fair, they become vulnerable to the enemy. He uses them many times and they are not able to put up any resistance. They do things that actually advance the causes of the devil, advance the kingdom of Satan, and they still celebrate it. As creatures of God, we are confronted by enemy forces. I want you to know that. Enemy forces that have no room for mercy in the agenda. These evil forces are seeking to enlist us for Satan at all cost. The goal of the enemy is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And he does that to anybody who makes himself available. He tries to destroy anything that stands in his way. His strategy is if you cannot have him, harm him. He desires to use man to oppose the government of God on earth. So if he can't have you, he will attempt to harm you. In his attack against the human race, Satan bargains for three things. And I want you to note this. He bargains for three things. Number one, he goes for the soul. Number two, he goes for your destiny. And number three, he goes for your possession. And he begins with the soul. The first time the devil comes after you, he comes to bargain for your soul. If he cannot get it through his deception and subtle means, he will declare war against you just to get what he wants at all costs. The good news is that we believers are able to resist him, especially if we walk in knowledge, full of the power of the Holy Spirit. But note that whenever the devil comes after a man, the first thing he goes for is the soul of that man. And ignorant and careless men and women lose the battle at this level and see their souls to Satan in exchange for either wealth or power or influence. This is how some people end up joining uh, occult groups and secret societies. Please know that if Satan wins the battle over a man at this level, all that such a man possesses come under the direct control of Satan. All of what he has comes under the government of the devil and he will use them at any point in time but if he loses his battle against you at the level of your soul he goes ahead to begin to bargain for your destiny he his goal is you know at this level to stop you from becoming who god created you to be he seeks to prevent you from doing all that god created you to do Again, if he loses the battle over your destiny, he goes for your possession. He will begin to, you know, seek to touch things that belong to you here and there. He will start attacking your possessions with the intention of destroying them. So at every point in time, the devil is fighting us. He is constantly bargaining for one thing or the other in and around the environment of our lives. But the good news is that it is possible to keep him out of business in and around your life. It is possible to keep him from making any inroad into your life. It is possible for, for you to even snatch from him any territory he ever, uh, you know, took from you. It is possible to prevent him from succeeding in your life, in your family, in your career. The strategy for keeping the devil constantly on the losing side is what we have been exploring in this series. In the first part, we explored, you know, the first key, which is to be strong in the Lord. If you haven't listened to that message, you will need to get it, listen to it again. Because there are three things we mentioned there that every believer should be acquainted with. The first one is consecration. The next one is consistency. And the third one is sacrifice. 
If you want to be strong in the Lord, then you need to consecrate yourself to God. You need to be consistent in fellowshipping with God, in doing the will of God. And then you need to live a life of sacrifice because it is sacrifice that releases the power that is already available. It releases it to us. It makes it accessible to us. Today, we will be exploring the second key, which is to put on the whole armor of God. Maybe I should begin by asking what is an armor? For me, an armor is a protective covering that is used to prevent damage from being inflicted on us. Any protective armor, whatever keeps you from being, you know, attacked by the enemy or keeps you from being hurt by the enemy, that's an armor. Now, what constitutes the armor of God? Ephesians chapter 6 talks about the armor of God. What are the components of the armor of God? There are about seven of them, and I'm going to mention them very quickly. Number one, the Bible speaks of the belt of truth. Number two, the breastplate of righteousness. Number three, the gospel of peace. Number four, the shield of faith. Number five, the helmet of salvation. And number six, the sword of the spirit. The last but not the least for me, very crucial also, is prayer. Putting on the whole armor of God means putting on these seven pieces of the armor of God in their proper place in your life, putting them in their proper place in your life, in my life. That's what it means to put on the whole armor of God. All seven must be in their proper place in our lives. For today, let's begin with the belt of truth. Perhaps we will dwell there. If we have time, we will get into the others. But let's begin with the belt of truth. To live in victory every day, brothers and sisters, we need to know the truth. We need to believe the truth. We need to live by the truth, no matter the cost. We need to say the truth at all times. The truth is both a person and a principle, and you need to know that. Jesus as a person is the truth. And the word of God as an eternal principle is also the truth. Truth as a principle is usually heavy. Many of you will testify with me that um, it's not everybody that can carry the truth. Many times it is more convenient to live a lie or tell a little lie here and there because doing so relieves us from pressures, shame, and embarrassment. At least it appears so. But to be victorious in life, we have to learn to live by conviction, not by convenience. We have to learn to live in accordance, in accordance with the truth, saying it and doing it, Doing so disarms the devil and keeps him from oppressing us. It's important you note this. Living by the truth disarms the devil. Patronizing lies here and there empowers him in our lives. So if we want to live in victory every day of our lives, one of the things we need to do is to ensure that we are living by the truth. In the book of John chapter 8 and verse 32, Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. The truth will set you free. The truth will keep you free. The fact that the truth is the first part of the armor presented to us in scriptures is worthy of note. We need to take note of that. Notice that it is called a belt. In other words, it is the truth that holds all the other parts of the armor in place. It is the truth that holds them together. The belt of truth. This implies that whatever we are doing, we need to be sure that we are saying the truth, we are doing the truth, and we are living the truth. Doing so disarms the devil. I said it before and I'm saying it again. 
living by the truth disarms the devil. Because the devil is a liar, the Bible calls him the father of all liars. And he thrives in lies, in deception, in falsehood. The devil we are in conflict with is a liar and a deceiver. If you don't know him as a liar and a deceiver, then you don't know him. He has been lying to people and deceiving them throughout human history. His first contact with Adam and Eve was to lie to them and deceive them. He lied to Adam and Eve and he deceived them. In the same way, he has been lying to people even till today. One of his ways of opposing the truth is to make people believe that the Bible, which is the word of God, is not truth. But it's important for you to note that the Bible is truth. The Bible is truth. Jesus, in talking to his disciples, as recorded by John in chapter 17, verse 17, says, Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. So the word of God is truth. Another way of opposing the truth, another way through which the devil opposes the truth is to make people believe that God does not love them. I'm I'm aware that, you know, he uses this as a weapon many times against people who are under one kind of pressure or the other. Some of you who are listening to me may have found yourselves in this situation where the devil begins to manipulate your mind into thinking that God doesn't love you. If he loves you, why will he allow you to go through the things you go through? But the truth of the matter is that according to scriptures, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. So if God loved us enough to give his one and only, his greatest and his best, I assure you that God will not withhold anything from us. So when the devil comes to you and tells you that God does not love you, just tell him very quickly, devil, you are a liar, get thee behind me. Another of his evil strategy for opposing the truth is to make people believe that God is responsible for all the evil things that are happening on earth today. Let me tell you very quickly, God is not responsible for them. It's important for you to know that the earth is created for man, not for spirits. Every trouble you find on earth is caused by the devil through man. It's important you know that. And the Bible confirms that God is good. God is not wicked. In Psalm 92 verse 15, the Bible says, Proclaiming the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no wickedness in him. I want you to to be aware that there is no wickedness in God. No matter what you are going through, no matter what people go through in life, God is not wicked. Each time we turn to him for deliverance, he delivers us. Even when we plunge ourselves into trouble, it is God himself who delivers us from all those troubles when we turn to him. But he waits for us to turn to him. So God is not wicked in any way. In some other cases, you know, the devil makes people believe that God does not have the ability to handle the existential problems we face in the universe. That's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20, the Bible says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that is at work in us. So God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ever ask or think or imagine. God is able. God is able. He's unlimited in power. He can do anything in the universe. Many times, he doesn't do the things we want him to do. 
because we do not ask him to do them. We do not invite him to do them. He has handed over the earth to man. The Bible says the heaven, even the heavens belong to God, but the earth has he given to the sons of men. So when we invite God through prayer, he does wonders for us. God is not in any way weak. The one who created the entire universe, how can you judge him weak? The Bible calls him the self-existent one. God is mighty. God is powerful. To even imagine that God is weak is to have played into the hand of the devil who is a liar. All these lies from Satan, you know, are intended to deceive people. Jesus, in addressing the Jews, you know, made the following statement. In John chapter 8, verse 44 and verse 45, he says, you belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. Know that the devil does not hold to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet, because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. So, the devil is a liar and the father of all lies. The father of all lies. One key way to overcome him and his lies is to accept Jesus and the Bible as the truth. Accept Jesus, the living word of God, and the Bible, the written word of God, as the truth. You just have to accept it. Accept and until you accept it, the devil will still succeed in telling you lies. You will be buying into his lies and in so doing, you make yourself vulnerable to his manipulation. In John chapter 14 verse 6, the Bible says, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. So Jesus said, I am the truth. And John 17 verse 17 says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So, to overcome Satan, we need to believe, accept that Jesus, the living word, and the Bible, the written word, is the truth. When we do that, we disarm the devil at that level. After accepting the truth, the next step is to depend on the Spirit of God for interpretation and for understanding of the truth. We need to depend on the Spirit of God. Using human wisdom many times to try to understand scriptures is what opens the portal for the devil to smuggle lies into us. We need to depend on the Holy Spirit. There's no need to argue over scriptures. If you lack understanding of it, ask the Holy Spirit to teach you. He may teach you directly or he can use someone that he has affected, someone whose life he has influenced, someone that he is directly in control of his life. He can use such a fellow to explain the word of God to you. We have a lot of preachers. We have a lot of messages in our generation. So these messages help us to understand the truth as we depend on the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 16 verse 13, the Bible says, However, when he, the spirit of truth, now, please note that the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. He is the dispenser of the truth. He is the communicator of the truth. He is the one who explains the truth. The Bible says when he comes, he will guide you into all truth. All of us need to be guided into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. Every one of us need to be guided into the truth. And it is the Holy Spirit who guides us into the truth. To overcome the lies of the devil and stay on the truth, you need to depend on the Holy Spirit for interpretation and understanding of the truth.
The final step is to resolve to obey the truth, no matter what you hear or what you see. It's a resolution that every one of us need to make. The resolution to obey the truth, no matter what we see, no matter what we hear, no matter what we feel, we all need to resolve to obey the truth. That's one way to disarm the devil, to stand on the truth, to live the truth, to proclaim the truth. As we do that, the devil is paralyzed in our lives. Those who do not obey the truth are called foolish. According to scriptures, anybody who does not obey the truth, the Bible sees such a person as foolish. Example is found in Galatians chapter 3 verse 1, where the Bible calls a people foolish Galatians. He says, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? So when a man does not obey the truth, the Bible sees that man as foolish. So there's no need for us to argue back and forth. Rather than argue, we just need to depend on the Holy Spirit to interpret the truth to us. And as he does that, our duty is to obey the truth and to do that at all costs. So we need to follow these three steps mentioned above. Number one, accept the truth. Number two, depend on the Holy Spirit for interpretation and understanding. Number three, resolve to obey the truth at all costs. Those who follow this approach will never fall prey to the lies and the tricks of the devil. The truth they know will set them free and keep them free until Jesus comes. Standing on the truth is another way of living in victory every day of your life. God bless you.